0: Happy Monday and welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined as I am every Monday by my colleague, Will Salatan. Do you have a good
1: weekend, Will? I did, Charlie, uh, with the exception of the uh, transition to, what is it, standard time that we went into?
0: Oh, no. I have devoted decades of complaining about daylight savings time and going back and forth. This is one of those things where you don't want to trigger me on this.
1: (laughs) Okay. It's just the worst thing ever. But just to be clear, all the complaints are about standard time, right? Not about daylight savings time, which is good. Just the switching back and forth, which I'm
0: sure made some sense in 1932 or whenever they did it, you know <laughs> that they convinced themselves that it made some sort of economic sense, which it does not. But let's move on. Let's start off with a question from literature. Are you a science fiction fan, Will? Don't know? Uh, used to be more than I am now, but I like it when it's good. Okay. Do you remember The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, yeah. One of my favorite books. Do you remember what was the words that were printed on the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Hmm? Don't panic. Okay, <laughs> that seems to be the theme for today. Do not panic, because I got to say, there was an awful lot of pearl-clutching, bed wedding. how many analogies do we want to run together over the weekend? Let's start with these two major stories, because I think they're linked. Number one of course, is the New York Times survey, that New York Times Siena poll that shows that if you had the election today, that Donald Trump would win the electoral college handily, Mm -hmm. that he's leading in a whole bunch of swing states. I mean, this is just jam-packed with bad news for for Joe Biden. At the same time, we had this extraordinary story in in the Washington Post about what a Trump 2.0 presidency would look like. I probably don't need to tell you, Will, but it's worse than almost anyone can imagine. I mean, they're talking about already invoking the Insurrection Act to bring the military in to suppress protests on Inauguration Day. They've made a list of the people that they would want to prosecute. They have names. And apparently the one crime that links them all together is they've criticized Donald Trump. But, you know, despite the fact that this morning as you and I are speaking, in New York Donald Trump is going to take the stand to test what could go wrong there take the stand to testify under oath in that civil trial that could destroy his business and so here's a guy who faces 91 felony counts is about to be put out of business because he is a chronic fraudster Here's somebody who will be standing trial for trying to overthrow the election, defrauding the government, violating the Espionage Act, who's facing charges of racketeering, who has been found liable for sexual assault by a federal judge. And I'm sorry I'm leaving so many things out here, but he is he is the leading candidate, not just for the Republican nomination, but for president. I bring this up because I'm looking for the pony in all of this, <laughs> and so... We do this every week, but but I'm really kind of looking for the pony because I'm looking at this survey here, and I'm, I'm sorry for you know people who are triggered by this sort of thing. Election held today, Trump would win Nevada by 10 points. Looks like 11 to me. Georgia, he would win by six points. Arizona, he would win by five points. Uh, Trump would win Michigan by five points. He would win Pennsylvania by four points. My home state of Wisconsin, Biden leads by two points with sort of something of an outlier. So, Will, uh, let's do some rank punditry here. <laughs> I sort of envision that you stayed up all night crunching the numbers here. You know, you had a whiteboard, you know.
1: Well, since I have to look for the pony, I have, you know, you have to look through the numbers for that. Uh, by the way, I want to bring this out. This is a My Little Pony which was sent to me by one of our favorite Bulwark members, no uh, Holly Berkeley Fletcher. Thank you, Holly. Uh, Holly. I'm just showing it to Yes, Holly sent this. Wow. And so I'm going to try to collect all of them. I think there are six. Is that right? Okay. That may be a bridge too far. <laughs> <laughs> no, just. Okay. But I only have two ponies for you here. I mean, maybe we can come up with some more. Look, I think this is a grim poll. So I'm, I'm reaching Bad. here. The first thing, Charlie, is what you said at the beginning. If the election were held today. Fortunately, it's not. It's not being held today. There's a year. What's going to happen in that year? One thing that could happen is that the objective reality that the economy is better than people think it is, even at the household level. And I understand your point that you've made before. Don't tell people they're not feeling what they're feeling. They are feeling it, but... Lived experience is a thing. It is true that household indicators are better than people express their subjective feelings. So over time, one would hope that the objective situation would influence people's subjective views that's one okay a second thing that's going on there is i mean there will be a lot of advertising between now and then i mean joe biden has been absent right just absent he gives speeches nobody watches he talks for two minutes for 30 seconds he's a tired guy right he did the last campaign from his basement he's tried to do a lot of the same thing now so let's see what joe biden has to see let's see charlie what other surrogates have to say on behalf of joe biden because again there's a lot of good stuff to say. The other thing, Charlie, is the New York Times published the grim story on Sunday, right? And then what do they do today? They come out with the part where they say, however, if Trump is convicted, about 6%, I think they said in these swing states right. would switch over and vote for Biden, that's right? right. That's and that's right. enough to swing those states. Now, I don't know if that's true. That's a pony. I'm
0: going to hang my head on Let me just read this here. The the headline today is, Trump indictments have not sunk his campaign, but a conviction might. If the former president is convicted and sentenced, as many of his allies expect him to be in the January 6th related trial held next year in Washington, D.C., around 6% of voters across Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, say they would switch their votes to Mr. Biden. That would be enough potentially to decide the election. Right. Okay. Genuine pony. Do you buy it? No question about it. Maybe. Let me step back for the non-pony party. We need to look at the pile. (sighs) Donald Trump, we know who Donald Trump is. We have lived through Donald Trump. We know what he intends to do. He keeps telling us what he intends to do. He is one of the most deplorable figures in the history of American politics. He is actually on trial for 91 felony charges almost on a daily basis. He comes up with some absolute piece of complete batshit, crazy lunacy. <laughs> and yet he is competitive in the race for president today. Okay, I'm not making it a predictive. It's like, what does it say about America that he's even plausibly being considered? What does it say about how truly shitty the campaigns of you know Ron DeSantis and other Republicans are? That not one Republican can figure out how to derail a guy who's basically been found guilty of rape, fraud, who's you know absconded with documents, who was complicit in a coup, you would think that they would find a way to run against him. So there is that moment where you step back and you go, okay, are we crazy? Or has the whole country lost its mind? So I, I do think that's a, a legitimate concern. The second is the real danger here. I mean, we need to get out of denial. Donald Trump can be elected president. Joe Biden can lose this election. This is possible. And the danger of a Trump presidency, it becomes more apparent every day. It's like just when you think you can't learn anything more. Let me just read you from this Washington Post piece, which I know you've read. In private, Trump has told advisors and friends in recent months that he wants the Justice Department to investigate one-time officials and allies who have become critical of his time in office, including his former chief of staff, John Kelly, former Attorney General Bill Barr as well as attorney Ty Cobb and former Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark A. Milley, according to people who have talked to him. Okay, so he's come up with a list of people he wants to prosecute. The only thing they've done is to criticize him. Now, it goes on to basically describe that not only does he want to weaponize the justice system, they've actually drawn up specific plans for using the federal government to punish critics and opponents, And he and his associates are drafting plans to potentially invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil
1: demonstration. Charlie, this has been going on when Donald Trump announced for president in November, a year ago, a year ago, he said that he would send the military into American cities. That Insurrection Act, that's been out there. No one one has paid any attention to it. Now, maybe they don't care. And I think that's the real alarm in these polls, right, that people don't actually care. Or maybe yeah. it hasn't registered and Democrats can somehow make it register over the next year. Well, I'm
0: afraid, and I don't mean this to be as snarky as it's going to come off, but you know, it's like 1992 called, Will, and they want their, it's the economy's <laughs> stupid line back because I'm not sure that the economy is going to change things. There's something different about our politics, something genuinely strange, and I'm not sure that anybody fully understands, but can I find some ponies here for you? Go ahead. Go because ahead. I, th- I think they there's gonna be a lot of ads, As frankly is not gonna be doing it here. And I wrote this in, in morning shots. And I am, by the way, you know, I am not a unskew the polls kind of guy. I'm not a kind of guy that that will dismiss the polls easily because I do think that right. the polls are consistent in saying Joe Biden is in trouble. And I mean, you really have to be in trouble to be losing to Donald Trump. I mean, I, I just want <laughs> people to take a deep breath about how bad things have to be, not just that you're underwater, you know, in terms of approval rating, but you might lose to Donald Trump. But I do have some questions about this poll. Do you really think that Biden only leads Trump by one point among young voters? I am a little skeptical here, okay? Young voters may have their own issues, but I'm not sure that Donald Trump is tied among young voters. So what happens if younger voters come back home uh, to Joe Biden, those numbers change. Okay. Do you really think that Hispanic voters are flocking to Donald J. Trump and that they put him within single digits in the polls? Mm -hmm. A little skeptical about that too. What happens, again, if those numbers revert to the norm? If Hispanics realize, hey, this guy has actually been running against us and hates us. Um, Maybe we shouldn't vote for him. Do you really think, back to this New York Times poll, do you really think, that Donald Trump is going to draw nearly a quarter of the black vote, that Donald Trump is really going to be getting 22% of the black vote. What happens if that drops back into single digits, as it will? What does that do to the numbers? So, I mean, part of this is just like, these numbers are horrible. There's no question about it. And I'm not trying to be a denialist about it. But I'm also saying that if you're Biden's people, you say, okay, we can get those voters back. We're never going to get the MAGA voters. We may have lost this other group of voters here, but there's there's no way that Donald Trump's getting 22% of the black vote. What do you think? Am I being too
1: optimistic here? I mean, what? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, Charlie, it's a fine line between skepticism and denial, right? Right. I think you're right. You haven't been an unskew the polls guy. True. No. But I worry. Look, I've hung up with Democrats and progressives my whole life, and I've heard this a lot. Charlie, I remember... Somebody saying in 1984, when Reagan was about to crush Mondale, you know, the polls can be wrong. The polls can be wrong. So this has been going on on the left for a long time. know. I know. I believe in taking this stuff seriously, because if it ain't exactly like 22 percent of the black vote and 42 percent of the Hispanic vote, This is at least a signal that it's higher than it ought to be. It's a warning. Right. There's a warning. And these polls are a way to puncture one's preconceptions, right, about, oh, we've got this in the bag. Because, Charlie, I hear people on the left say all the time, look, Donald Trump is a racist, right? So how could any self-respecting Latino, how could any self-respecting Black American vote for him? And yet some do more than you would think. This is a warning. You saw what the reaction was over the
0: last 24 hours which I thought was rather significant. David Axelrod who is a Obama era guru, big Democratic player, commentator put out tweets suggesting that maybe it's time for Joe Biden to take his gold watch and and leave. Our colleague Bill Kristol is also saying that it's time for Joe Biden to announce that he's not running for reelection. I have to say that I'm I am squishy on this issue, okay? Mm-hmm. Let me explain two things. Number one, because I don't know what the plan B is. I think the problem is that you have not made the case that anyone else would be stronger. On the other hand, this is what I wrote about this morning. We need to be crystal clear about the priorities of 2024. 2024's main challenge is not reelecting Joe Biden. It is stopping the return of Donald Trump. Right. And so the question is, is... Biden the best person to do this. How do we do this? This coalition is very I think is very fragile. It's very obvious that the anti-Trump centrist coalition is under a lot of stress and strain, particularly with Israel Hamas. But I do think that we need to keep the focus on the fact that, you know, Biden is in many ways an instrument here to protect liberal constitutional democracy. If it turns out that Joe Biden has so many flaws, is so weak, that he is not a reliable bulwark against authoritarianism, then all of the folks, the fanboys and the fluffers out there who are telling us that Joe Biden is the bestest president ever are missing the point because the
1: point isn't Biden, it's stopping Trump. Okay, all right. So I'm going to half agree and half not even exactly disagree, but raise a question. Okay. I want to agree with you about the fundamental question, which is the test. This is a one-job election. Last one was a one-job election. Right. Right. Keep One Trump job. out. That's it. Right. Right. So exactly right. that's the test. And then the question is, who does that best? I am sympathetic to the argument that our friend JBL and others have made that you can't imagine Biden against an imaginary Democrat. You have to imagine him compared to a real Democrat. Trump against an imaginary No, no, no. Biden, in terms of their performance relative to Trump. Oh, right? I see. Okay. Right. I'm sorry. Okay. So right. it's very easy to say. And in fact, I believe this CNU, New York Times-CNN poll showed the same thing, but an imaginary Republican does better than Donald Trump. You got to ask an exact question. And the same thing with Biden, right? An imaginary alternative. So who is it? Is it Gretchen Whitmer? Is it Jared Polis? Is it some other person, right? Like, and once you fill in that name, I'm sympathetic to the argument that once you fill in that name, now you face a whole bunch of negatives that you weren't thinking about when you just talked about, well, it shouldn't be Joe Biden. What do you think of that argument? See that's what the part I agree
0: with. We've seen, know how somebody like Ron DeSantis, who is strong on paper, what they actually look like when they're in the the arena. I think we ought to be skeptical about that. So I don't think that the Democrats have a plan B yet. On the other hand. I do think this sort of angry protectiveness like we can never talk about Joe Biden's age. Um, inflation is a complete myth. You people are complete idiots if you don't believe that. Or let's not talk about Hunter Biden's sleaze or, or the border of crime, any of those things. You're betting the future of constitutional democracy on the fact that those things won't matter. And here's the reality check. They do matter. Voters are paying attention to them. So I do think there is that this defensiveness and again, you can make the case that Joe Biden has had a successful term without saying, and therefore deserves a second term, or that he's the best candidate to protect us from Donald Trump. I guess this is where I dissent from the Biden is better than Obama, Biden is the best president since Harry Truman sort of line here. I, because I want to be focused, crystally clear right. on this is not about the affirmation of Bidenism for me. It's about stopping Trumpism and the illiberal authoritarianism. I mean, I am single-mindedly focused on that. If Joe Biden's the guy, fine. But if he's not the guy, then it misses the point completely to go all in on writing fan fiction about him.
1: Can I just say, I'm really enjoying this conversation because I feel like I'm in a one-on-one focus group. Now, I don't matter. <laughs> okay, no. I don't matter. I'm yeah. a lib. I'm a lib in yeah. Maryland. I'm going to vote for Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. But I'm talking to a conservative who lives in Wisconsin. And right. leaving aside, like to win these states, Wisconsin was one of the ones in this, the NFL, obviously. to win these states, people like me are not enough. And the whole game is, can we get you know, people like you, and and then there's lots of other people who are, you know, swing constituencies. Right. I think the argument that's going to get a lot of folks like you is the negative argument. And so even if I believe in some of the affirmative arguments, we got to make... Now, one of the things that really scares me about the New York Times-Siena poll, Charlie, is why is it that we say the one job is to defeat Trump? Well, it is to protect American democracy, democracy and the rule of law. And yet in this poll, literally, they asked the question... Who do you trust more, Trump or Biden, on protecting democracy? I forget exactly the phrasing of the question. So in one state, in Wisconsin, Biden's the, like a winner by like nine or 10 points. In every other Aye. state, it's one point or two points. Aye. That's the margin on democracy. Biden against a guy who literally tried to overthrow the government of the United States, literally tried Aye. to overturn an election. That is a shocking number, and it makes me worry that, Let's say Trump gets convicted in the January 6th case, and he appeals it, right? And that appeal is going on. Right, which he will. Right, right. And so we've now had a jury say that he tried to overthrow the election. What if people don't care, Charlie? What if there aren't enough American voters who care about that? And they just say, I think the economy was better under Trump. Yeah, he tried to overthrow the government, but it doesn't really matter. Well, I know this is the nightmare scenario.
0: This is why, and I think we need to focus on on all of this, I guess, you know, you're talking about uh, Wisconsin and the swing voters, and I won't get too deep into Wisconsin politics, but, you know, there was some uh, discussion like, why is Wisconsin different? And it is because of these swing voters in places like where I live, the Wow counties, Waukesha, Ozaukee, Washington counties. These are people who voted Republican in the past who are just not going to vote for Donald Trump. But I will tell you that if you walk in and you say, the first thing is, you know, you need to recognize how absolutely wonderful and awesome Joe Biden is. You need to vote for the Biden-Harris ticket. You need to support um, his forgiveness of student loans. And you need to embrace these various policies here. Man, by the way, let me now tell you what I think you should do. The conversation's already over. But if you walk in and you go, let's talk about who Donald Trump is, what Donald Trump has done, what Donald Trump is prepared to do, what it would actually be like. Let's talk about that. And so, yes, am I embracing a certain negativity? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. here, Because you can persuade swing voters they do not want to be part of what Trump represents. Right. But if you expect Republicans to become Democrats, if you expect Mike Pence to endorse Joe Biden, you're chasing unicorns. I mean, you may find a pony in the pile, but that's just fan fiction. So I think, and we've talked about this before, job number one is to break them free of voting for Donald Trump. If they vote for Joe Biden, that's really good because I personally think, and I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because Joe Biden is right now the one way of stopping Donald Trump. I think if you write somebody in or you vote for a third party, I think you're wasting your vote. I don't want to do that, but it's a much heavier lift. So a year out, I focus on telling people you need to understand who this guy is, but if never Trumpers basically declare we're all liberal Democrats, they've taken themselves out of the conversation with
1: the swing voters who are going to decide this election. Right. So you talked about negativity there and like feeling guilty about it. Can I put in a plug? For no, ne- I don't feel for- <laughs> guilty at all.
0: No, oh no, no, no. You misinterpreted that because there's no guilt at all.
1: <laughs> I just want to put in a plug for negativity, okay? okay yeah. Negativity is is why this country is still here 240 years later. Like oh, yeah, our entire yeah. constitutional system is set up to negate the worst, right? Yes, we don't get exactly. the best, we have deadlock, yeah. we have you know courts getting in the way of legislators, getting in the way of executive. And like, that's beautiful because it's all designed to prevent one guy from taking over our country or a guy in his mob, right? So back to the one job idea, right? That's fine. Anyone out there who is unhappy with Joe Biden, for all the reasons you just gave, you know, the inflation, the economy, border, et cetera, for them to, you know, at the end to say, you know, I really don't like him, but we got to stop this guy, Trump. And God, I really hate having to choose between these two. Look, I'm sorry those were your choices, but for you to make your decision on that basis is patriotic. (laughs) You're protecting the United States. Right. Okay. So you have to
0: find that person who says, okay. I disagree here, 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 but I have to do this because the alternative is so much worse. Right. And with Trump, it is so much worse. So let's just do a little bit of this because I have to say we've had an internal bulwark disagreement. About Chris Christie. I've been very, very critical of Chris Christie. I had a big rant about Chris Christie. I will never forgive him for that moment when he went all shine box back in 2016 and endorsed Donald Trump. But the guy has been a magnificent, and I would say courageous beast in taking on Trumpism. And now, where would he speak over the weekend? He's down in Florida. Florida Republican conference, whatever. Okay. So this was a very MAGA heavy event. Asa Hutchinson, who I was slightly surprised is still in the race, also spoke, got a very negative reception. But let's play Chris Christie, who basically stands up there and the crowd hates him. They're booing him, almost booed him off the stage. But listen to this.
2: Your anger, your anger, your anger against the truth is reprehensible. Whoa! truth to MAGA, reprehensible. And as, people, and as people watch today, as people watch today, if your arguments are so strong, if your arguments are so great and mine are so bad, then just keep quiet. Let me make my awful arguments and then you can just reject them out of hand. But the problem is, the problem is The problem is you fear the truth. Oh! The problem is you want to shout down any voice that says anything different than what you want to hear. And you can continue to do it. And believe me, believe me, it doesn't bother me one bit.
0: I don't know whether it bothers him, but I got to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that people even forget about people in politics and people who are in in the public life, they're still people. Mm -hmm. Really, remember, they actually are human beings. I mean, they are people. And I understand that Chris Christie has a lot of thick skin and a lot of ego, but it is not fun standing up in a room where everybody hates your guts and they're yelling at you. That, That is not fun. But what I think is amazing is that he's at the point of being all out of bleeps to give. And he comes this close to saying, You are effing deplorable. You are. (laughs) What are you sniveling cowards afraid of here? You know, you're, you're clinging to your ignorance. You're reprehensible. That was a magnificent moment. Right. But clearly the primary electorate doesn't care.
1: Well, the people in that room don't care. And that's a question of who's in that room. But yeah, yeah. I really like Chris Christie too. And I had the same feeling that you did about him in 2016. This guy did more than anyone else to help Donald Trump win the nomination and then the election. So the thing that I like about Christie, and I sounds like you do too, is he's the realist person in that race. He just talks like a guy, right? He goes into a room, a politician panders. That's not pandering what we just heard, right. right? That's the opposite.
0: That was not fan service. Because, I mean, like 90% of these guys is like, what button can I push, you know, to get their political erogenous zone aroused? Now, he's like, screw it. I'm going to tell you what I think.
1: And Charlie, it wasn't even a nice version of disagreement. I have never heard, and I don't think I ever will again, a politician walk into a room that he knows is against him, get and say, your anger is representative. No, to tell the people in the audience they're reprehensible. Now, I want to just flag one thing from that clip that might have gone by some folks listening. Okay, there was a phrase that Chris Christie said. It was, "As people watch today, do you hear that part?" That's a, just a preposition he dropped in there. In other words, mm-hmm. Christie went to this thing knowing that the room was against him—the room full of MAGA people, right? But that's not his audience. His audience is anyone outside who's either watching the event, which is not that many people, or who will see a video clip, or who will hear us talking about it, or who will read about it, right? So he's talking to everyone outside the room about the people inside the room. And he's saying to the people outside, oh, I'm with you. I'm with you, sane people, against these lunatics in the room. But I still respect him for the courage to go in and do that. Yeah, no, that's a very,
0: very good point. Okay, so another really interesting soundbite over the weekend... I think we've been waiting for a long time for members of the American media to emulate the British media, the Australian media. I mean, have you ever noticed the difference between, say, a BBC interview and, and an American network interview? The BBC interviews, first of all, they don't let you filibuster and they keep asking the same question over and over. I mean, they they keep pressing it. Mehdi Hassan is very much from that tradition, but American Interview is too often. Look, and I understand the limits of time and the limits of the format. I mean, I, I'm sympathetic. It's not as easy as, as it looks, but George Stephanopoulos had Steve Scalise on yesterday and he's asking him about whether the election was stolen. And I, by the way, I think this is a relevant question to ask, not because it's backward looking, but because it's forward looking, because the real question is, will Republicans ever concede the 2024 election? I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but is Donald Trump ever going to acknowledge that he loses next year, if if he loses next year? And will it become then an absolute litmus test for Republicans in the House of Representatives to reject the results of the Electoral College? I think it's more than a 50-50 chance. We've seen that with the unanimous vote for Mike Johnson, one of the full-throated election denialists. So Steve Scalise, who uh, also was kneecapped by the uh the slabbering jackal caucus is on with george stephanopoulos and i was really struck by how many times stephanopoulos asked him the question
3: let's just listen but it's about two minutes let's listen to this can you say unequivocally that the 2020 election was not stolen What I've told you is there are states that didn't follow their laws. That is what the state constitution, the U.S. Constitution requires. Uh, You know, I've seen in my own state where we had to send our elections commissioner to jail years ago for fraud and corruption, and we cleaned up our act in our state. Every state ought to follow the laws that are on their books. That's what the U.S. Constitution says. That's not what I asked. I said, can you say unequivocally that the 2020 election was not stolen? Twice. Look, Joe Biden's president, I know you and others want to talk about 2020, we're focused on the future. We've talked about 2020 a lot, we're talking about how to get our country back on track, how to get our economy moving, how to stand blah, blah, up to blah, the blah, bad blah, actors blah, blah, blah. around the world. Xi is not slowing down in China, he's looking at Taiwan, you see what's going on in Russia, you see yeah, what Iran is doing the to work okay. with Hamas and other terrorist yeah, organizations. Yeah, yeah. This administration voice. needs to pick up the pace. Uh, they're not standing up to the bad actors around the world, the world. They need to. We're passing bills to address this through the House. The Senate needs to take action. The President needs to take action as well. That's what we're on I, I, the House. I, I know. That Joe Biden is president. I'm asking you a different question. Can you say unequivocally that the 2020 Three. election was not stolen? Third time. What I've told you, and you've, you've seen this. <laughs> there are states that didn't follow the laws that are on their books, which is what or the U.S. US Constitution comes. says. <laughs> <laughs> they okay, have to do. So you,
1: ref- so you just refuse to
0: say unequivocally that the 2020 <laughs> four, election was not time. stolen.
3: So you want to keep rehashing 2020? Yes. We're talking. I just want an answer please. to the question: Donald Yes or Trump? no? Okay. to this country. Five. We've asked. Five look, times. We've talked about this before, but again. <laughs> will you acknowledge that there were states that didn't follow the actual state legislative enacted laws on their books okay. which the US Constitution says they're supposed to do
1: I know you that every that. single I know that every court that looked at whether the election was stolen said it wasn't rejected those claims and I asked you a very very simple question now I've asked it I think the fifth time that you
3: can't appear to answer yeah, cool. can you say cool unequivocally six. Six. That 2020 I, six. That was I told not you stolen. there were a handful <laughs> there were a handful of there were a handful That's of states down. that didn't follow their laws the rest did.
0: Oh my okay, Will. <laughs> <laughs> if I smoked, I would you light up a cigarette after it. that one, you know. Put <laughs> <laughs> on George Stephanopoulos six times in two minutes and Steve Scalise. What a weasel and a wimp.
1: Because first of all, I mean okay, never mind. Go ahead. What do you think, Will? Okay, just to get the numbers out. All right, we we spared, we spared the audience here. You, heard, you just heard six of them. There are nine. Stephanopoulos asks this question nine times in five minutes. He goes on. on Now, just so everybody understands how these interviews work, the anchor has, the host has a list of questions that they want to get to, right? So every time you stop on a question, you're giving up a couple of minutes that you want on your later question. Right. I got to praise George Stephanopoulos. This is great. He's willing to chuck every question below that on his list. He's willing to spend the rest of the interview repeating that question until he gets an answer because it's important. And let's remember... Stephanopoulos is the guy who, after was at the first Republican debate when six of the eight raised their hands and said that they would support Trump even if he were mm. convicted, right? He did the same thing. He asked a question about that. Why would you do that? Nikki Haley refused to answer. I forget who else he had on the show. Anyway, mm-hmm. he is willing to tank the interview for that one question. And just to your point, Charlie, about what Scalise actually said and the plausibility of whether the House Republicans would block the election results, let's remember. The number of elections that Donald Trump has been a candidate in, in which he has conceded defeat, is zero. Am I correct? Zero. Remember when he lost
0: in Iowa? Yeah. I mean, always. He's never a gracious loser. Ever. And we know what he will demand. He will demand that House Republicans do the courageous thing and throw out
1: the election results. Right? Right. It would have been easy for Scalise to say that the election wasn't stolen, but he won't even say that. Yes. And he's, you can hear him coming up with the rationale. The states didn't follow their laws. Now, this was all certified by courts, but Scalise and the Republicans don't care about courts. It's, and therefore, because they didn't follow their laws as they were written before COVID, that that's unconstitutional. Scalise is basically saying that the 2020 election, as it was conducted, was unconstitutional. He's saying that it was stolen.
0: Let's switch to graver matters, what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and Gaza. And I want to talk about it, first of all, just in terms of domestic politics, because this is a real challenge for Joe Biden. Uh, There's no question about it. I know there was a little bit of denialism about how deep the divisions in the Democratic Party were. Vast majority of elected Democrats still supporting Joe Biden. But Biden is, I mean, clearly the, the coalition is fractured as a result of all of this. Give me a sense of how he's navigating it. He started off with an absolutely full-throated bear hug support, a bear hug of Benjamin Netanyahu's government and Israel and what they're doing. Since then, they have been trying to have a more nuanced approach, calling for a humanitarian pause, which has been rejected now by the Israelis. So how is he handling this? When, or is this one of those almost insoluble puzzles for an American president in this kind of conflict?
1: Well, the basic problem that Biden has is he's he's taken a position which is popular in the United States, but the facts on the ground have changed over time. As we, and you and I said at the very beginning that this was going to happen. At the beginning, right. you have 1,400 murdered people in Israel, just a massive terrorist attack. Everybody's with Israel. And then as the response begins, the military response, the Israeli death count stays the same. The Palestinian death count increases, you know, m- many times more. So it's not clear exactly how many, but there are thousands of civilians who have died in Gaza. Israelis are still dying, by the way. I mean, in in the conflict, there are Israeli soldiers, so it didn't... Israeli soldiers, but the the, the attack on Israel happened at the beginning. And there, right. and, and just to be clear, right. yes, there are still rockets being fired into Israel, but there is Iron Dome, right?
0: And there are still hostages. Yes. there And are- some
1: of those hostages may be being killed. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'm just pointing out
0: that it's not like, you know, it's like, okay, so the bad thing happened, and then that stopped, and now it's No, well, the, the
1: main argument that I would concede on your side, and I hate to call it your side because I am Jewish and I support Israel. <laughs> this is, is, right. The main yeah. argument I would agree with you here is let's not forget the attack, the, the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, right? Let's not forget yeah, let's that. Not. And that's very easy when you have a 24-hour news cycle to forget that. So I fully agree with that. Yeah. But it is still a fact that what's going on day by day is, you know, bombing and killing in Gaza. And although it is aimed at Hamas, Israel is not targeting civilians. But it's very hard, particularly when Hamas uses human shields, not to kill civilians. So as that number keeps going up, and as okay. people see the scenes right, of death right. in Gaza, Biden's position becomes more difficult. And that's part of why you see Biden and Anthony Blinken saying, let's have a humanitarian pause. You see Blinken going to uh, the West Bank, talking about a two-state solution. I'm sure people in Israel are like, what the hell? You know, talking about what can we do for a Palestinian state when we just had an attack from a Palestinian territory on our civilians, right? But politically, that's what what the United States needs to do. And and it is important to show the Palestinians and to show the people in the Arab states and the Arab governments that there is a way other than violence that can lead to some sovereignty for Palestinians.
0: I'm trying to think of what scenario would be better for Biden at this point, because as you point out, he is sort of trapped. Okay, now second guessing is a little bit unfair, but it's also the third oldest profession. (laughs) So, in retrospect, was Biden's trip to Israel a mistake, a political mistake? Now, at the time, I thought it was bold. Um, I'm always all in on it. But in retrospect, as you look at it, because, you know, you look around the world and also in, in progressive circles, and there is a lot of skepticism toward Israel, much more sympathy, growing sympathy for the Palestinians. And yet that image, he was there hugging Benjamin Netanyahu.
1: Mistake? No, no, no. I'm fully with Biden in that. And remember, he went to Ukraine, too. Yes, Biden has a bigger agenda here. Let's remember Biden and Mike Pence gave Biden a lot of grief about this, that, oh, gauzy speeches about democracy. Biden actually believes this stuff. He believes there's an international fight, I a global fight going on between autocracies and democracies. And so he's going to Ukraine. He's going to Israel. Which is gutsy, which requires actual courage. Right. And there was a massacre of Jews. It was enormous. And so he was exactly right to do that. And now he's just got to navigate the evolving circumstances. And And it's important to tell the Israelis that we have their back because if the Israelis don't believe that, there's a little bit of danger about what they might do. And I think he wants some leverage with them to limit the civilian casualties. So I don't have any problem with that.
0: On a different note, I mean, my main focus, I was going to say obsession, but yes, obsession, is trying to think about what's going through the minds of the folks that are tearing down the posters of the kids who have been kidnapped. (sighs) It just strikes me, first of all, as you know, a self-destructive, you know, in terms of of the cause, but also the degree of animus. And I think this, this is one of the, the things that's kind of shaken our politics, because you kind of realize that these are people that you might have thought of as being roughly on your side in terms of politics. And suddenly you realize, no, we have a really radically different moral code. But I have to give credit to Democrats, particularly in Michigan, for policing their own. We talk about you know the need to police the bad actors on your own side. So Rashida Talib puts out a video that includes the people chanting. You know, from the river to the sea, which you and I have talked about, you know, the which is basically a genocidal, you know, wiping out Jews. She's defending it. One Michigan Democrat after another has called her out on that. That is not easy to do in our politics today, but it is urgently necessary. What what do you think?
1: Well, this it's funny. This is one of those topics where I feel the difference between you and me and between sort of center left and center right. You're very attentive to people on the left saying crazy things, talking about abolishing the police or talking supporting Hamas. And that. My reaction is always- It does oh, happen. It, it does, it does. But my gut reaction is, let's not talk about that. Can we please not talk about that? Well, because you're me from
0: 2015
1: <laughs> saying that about people on the right. No, literally we've okay. not ch-
0: exchanged places because in 2015, we'd hear, hear the crazy people on the right and going, just don't talk about it. They are not who we are. They don't represent. We don't have to spend any time on them.
1: And look where we are today. Okay. I'm sorry. Go on. Okay. Okay. I know that's a very good point. I'm going to, after we're done with this, I'm going to be thinking about that all week. But my reaction is I don't want to talk about Rashida Tlaib, but part of me wants to defend Rashida Tlaib because we have a lot of Jewish members of Congress, but we don't have a lot of Palestinian members of Congress. I think she's the only one. Is that right? Palestinian American. So she's going to feel viscerally the pain, the the suffering, the death in Gaza. And she's going to talk about that. I'm sympathetic to her on that. I think it's good that we have that voice, but you raised something very specific. Mm. That video she put out has people chanting from the river to the sea. If you are the only Palestinian American representative in Congress, you have a responsibility. And I would say the same if there were one Jew. I would say the same about all the Jewish representatives in Congress. You have a responsibility to represent your point of view, your people, your interests, your concerns in a way that is not alienating right and if you put out in your video as she did from the river to the sea you're telling america that the position of the palestinian american community as expressed by you is the abolition of the state of israel well right because there's a sea there's a sea and there's a river right and if you go from the sea to the river there ain't no israel in between there can't be one under that definition and by the way talking about policing guess who was on tv this weekend talking about this they interviewed bernie sanders on cnn now, Bernie's Jewish. I know. I was That was amazing. Yeah, yes, and Bernie right? said, he said, because he's not up on this, but he said, well, if from the river to the sea, if it means abolishing Israel, then that's wrong, and I'm against that, right? And it's important for voices like Bernie to say that, so I'm glad he did. It is. I mean, what, what, let
0: me pick one little nit here, um, is that Rashida Tlaib does not just represent Palestinian-Americans. She is a U.S. congressperson who represents a lot of constituents, and so- I understand the identity politics card you played there, but she <laughs> she also represents a lot of people of different backgrounds. And I, I don't think has a, has less of an obligation to represent other uh, Americans as well. You want to slap back? I mean, just I, no.
1: about the identity policy. No, I Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And okay. I don't know the exact composition of her district, but this would be true whether you're Jewish, whether you're Latino, black, Palestinian, whatever, whatever your ancestry is, you do have to be certain that you're representing your district as a whole because if you're a minority very seldom is your minority enough to get you reelected
0: speaking of what's going on in congress we're still getting to know mike johnson the fifth string speaker <laughs> i have to say it seems like the scriptwriters are outdoing themselves with this guy i mean really the contrast between the sort of the serious <laughs> mild-mannered demeanor And this guy's background, apparently he's spent a good deal of time scrubbing his his social media background, because, I mean, besides, you know, talking about, you know, gays and dinosaurs and whatever it is he spent his his attention on in, in the past he's going to face a couple of uh, very, very tough weeks coming up. We have a countdown now to the shutdown of the federal government. be interesting to see if he can avoid that. Um, that. That is sort of his job, number one. But he was on over the weekend as well, talking about this whole linking Israel aid to the IRS But I'd like to get your
3: thoughts on the other side, Will. Here is Speaker Mike Johnson that money from this giant fund over 67 billion dollars that's sitting there to build up the irs we weighed those priorities and said you know what a concept we're trying to change how washington works and so by taking that money from this giant fund over 67 billion dollars that's sitting there to build up the irs we weighed those priorities and said you know what it's more important to protect israel right now than it is to hire more irs agents apparently senator schumer disagrees with that but i'll take that debate to the american people all day long
1: well All right. So when when Mike Johnson says we'll take that debate to the American people all day long, that's his way of saying we did this deliberately. We House Republicans attached Israel funding, which everybody wanted to support, to defunding the IRS so that we have a political issue. So if Biden vetoes this or the Senate rejects it, then we're going to say that Democrats care more about the IRS than about Israel. Remember, the Republican argument was there shouldn't be anything with the Israel money. The Ukraine money shouldn't be in with the Israel money, but we're going to stick the IRS in there. So it's a political dig. And what I really wanted to flag here is Mike Johnson talks about, and he talks in this interview about being a Bible believing Christian and a person of faith. What he's trying to project is earnestness. I'm not just another politician. I'm a sincerely devout Christian. Right. What he's doing here is playing standard Kevin McCarthy politics, but he's doing it with that pious face. And it's, it's deceptive, it's dishonest, and it's insulting to faith to pretend that you are somehow not playing normal politics, that you're being a righteous person. In fact, you're just like everybody else. And I just think it discredits the idea of, of the Christian sincerity. Yeah, I am not just
0: playing politics. I am actually trying to enact Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. OK, I mean, we, we also need to mention that the cutting of the IRS money does not actually reduce the deficit. In fact, it expands the deficit. Right. The CBO um, numbers were out there saying, yeah, you actually increase the national debt by doing what you're doing. This is not about fiscal conservatism. There were a lot of uh, incidents over the weekend where Republicans had their feet held to the fire on like, well, wait, you cite and believe the CBO here, 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 here. But why do you doubt the CBO? Because they're like in denial. Like, I just don't believe it. It's like, if we stop enforcing laws against tax cheats, if we don't go after millionaires um, who are underpaying their taxes, which we all know goes on, right? (laughs) I mean, it's not a right-left thing. You actually reduce revenue. I mean, that seems relevant, right? Right. And can we just
1: flag here? That was George Stephanopoulos again. The same interview with people should just go watch the interview, Stephanopoulos and Scalise. The last five minutes is the stuff about the election and the 2020 election being stolen. The first part is about this and Stephanopoulos absolutely grilling him about, you know, Scalise says, well, we wanted to be fiscally responsible. That's why we attach to funding the IRS because that's money that's going to the IRS. Stephanopoulos says CBO, which you just cited says that actually what you're doing increases the debt. And again, Scalise had no answer. No, he had no answer. But I, you know, this is why, I mean, I I
0: rarely want to have politicians. I don't want to say never. Uh, Politicians on the podcast, because, you know, for years I had politicians on the radio. And at a certain point, you realize you just put a quarter in and all you're getting are the talking points. It's just (laughs) the blah, blah, blah. When Scalise was on, you could just sort of just hear the the sort of like the, the tap dancing. And he's like, you know word salad, word salad, word salad that I'm going to use to uh, not answer the question. And the only way to make that valid is to do what George Stephanopoulos did, which is to keep coming back at them because they really absolutely do count on this. I mean, the clock is their friend. I'm sorry to get too much into this interviewing thing. No, it's true. But they know, they're looking at this thing, okay, they're told uh, you're on for nine minutes. So that, that politician very consciously calculates, okay, so I'm on for nine minutes. If I spew um, six minutes of bullshit, that means only three minutes where I get, you know, have to answer or impressed on on difficult things. So Stephanopoulos is is kind of taking that away, saying, okay, the clock is not your friend. I'm going to use all of this time to
1: keep asking you the same question over and over again. Right. It's very important also for the not to not care whether you ever get that guest again, because a lot of times the hosts are nice to the guests, right? And if you don't care, you can ask the right questions. One other thing I wanted to flag from that interview, so we just named two parts where Scalise talks about this. So one was about attaching the IRS defunding to the Israel stuff. That's standard politics, right? And Scalise stonewalls yeah. and lies about that, right? When they move on to the election and Scalise does the same thing, he won't mm-hmm. say the 2020 election was stolen. Remember, this is the number two Republican in the House, right? He's the majority leader, right? And... What he's telling you there, what he's signaling is he and his Republican colleagues see no difference between a standard political issue, which people play politics all the time. We're attaching our issue to your, right? right? And lying about election results. They just don't see it. They don't acknowledge any difference. And that makes them you know, uniquely ill-suited to protect this country if they're willing to lie about an election result the same way that they lie about a standard political issue. That is an excellent
0: point. Will, it is great to talk with you. It is great to kick off the week with you. And of course, we'll do this again next Monday. Thanks, Charlie. And I want to thank everybody for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again. Bullwork podcast is produced by Katie Cooper and engineered and edited by Jason Brown.